Bible readings this morning, uh, one's from Ecclesiastes, um, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, while I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And our second reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 through to 16. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. One Corinthians chapter one verses eight through to twenty-five. Give you a chance to find it. You got it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now we've been uh, working for the last five weeks, almost a month, uh, or a bit over a month actually, we've been looking at the question of chasing life, the search for the good life, the search for a life of purpose and meaning and substance. And we've had a a friend on this quest, haven't we? Uh, A guy who the Bible talks of as the teacher. Uh, And he uh, is the writer of most of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he has embarked on the quest, the same quest, that I think it's fair to say that pretty much all of us are as well. He writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. He wanted to know 
what it is to live a good life. And I think that's the quest that was then, but I think it's the same quest that we search for now. And we walk different paths to get to that good life. So if you think about what we've looked at, firstly, we looked at the idea that if you had power, if you had control, if you could get all your ducks in a row and make life work the way you wanted it to, then meaning would come. We looked at relationships and that we'd find meaning and lasting significance through relationships. Or the work of our hands and the money and the the stuff that we make out of them. Or last week we looked at pleasure. But you remember he's tested each of these things somewhat extensively and he's come up with one conclusion that covers them all. So you remember the word? It's hevel. And hevel means it's a mist or a vapor. It's something that, that is passing away. It's here for now, but then it's gone. And so he's not saying that these things are totally without any kind of meaning. That's where maybe the English translation of meaningless is probably a little limited. Uh, but it never lasts. So if there is a benefit, it's never there at the end. It is, as we heard and read for us, a chasing after wind. Today we're going to look at another, another uh, path that we walk uh, to gain this good life, uh, the path of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I think this is a, a particular path that is very significant. Uh, we have a very well-educated group of people sitting here in the hall. Uh, many of us have not only degrees, but multiple degrees, or we're on the way to getting them. Parents, you love education for your kids. Kids, maybe you don't love education as much, but you're caught up in that whole uh, drive that says if we have the right knowledge, we will have a good life. Now, I want to test that. Uh, I want to go to Ecclesiastes and test that under three headings. The pursuit of knowledge and wisdom, heading one. Heading two, it's not what, but who you know. And heading three, living wise. We live in a society that loves knowledge. It used to be that the people with the biggest muscles, they would rule because uh, they'd beat the rest of us into submission. Uh, the biggest, strongest, toughest, they were on top. And then our society moved on a bit and uh, it was the people with the right pedigree, belonging to the right family, you know, the whole uh, divine right of kings kind of stuff. And if you came from the right family, then you had power. Now, our society is pitching it that academic prowess, that knowledge and wisdom are the path to power, the path to the good life. And we pursue it primarily through education, don't we? Now, I wanted to say, I might tread on a few toes this morning. I'm going to do that very deliberately. Uh, you may be a teacher. Uh, you may be a student. You may be parents. Um, hopefully... I can stir you up a little bit, but not too much that you stop listening. Uh, come and grab me afterwards if you've got questions, if you want to go further. But we live in a world that says academic success is one of the key measures of our lives, of our worth. Our government recently had an education revolution. 
Um, I'm not really quite sure what happened, uh, but we talked about it for a while, didn't we? Yes. Uh, and I was talking uh, outside uh, over morning tea with one of our nine o'clock congregation members, and we actually agreed that educational uh, achievement is one of the key ways we actually compare ourselves with others, don't we? Uh, I had one friend at school uh, who didn't go to university. I had more than one friend. Uh, let me just put the punctuation in the right spot. Uh, maybe I need to go back and study further. Um, success in preaching is dependent upon academic prowess. No. Um, one friend in school who didn't go to university. And although we loved him, he was a great guy, there was a sense that people kind of ranked him down. And you know, who are at the top? Well, the doctors and the lawyers are at the top, aren't they? And then you have sort of the engineers and the paramedicals and all those kind of... And then you have, and people, people worked out that... No, engineers, yeah, waste of time, most of them. Anyway, um, we do need the lounges fixed, actually. We do. We do. They're good for something, aren't they? Okay. But we do have a society that does rank people like that, don't we? And we possibly even do it ourselves. We may not be aware of it, but I guarantee if you walk around and find someone who doesn't have the degrees, who doesn't have the credentials, who doesn't have the achievements, and ask them how they feel, being in a congregation where most people do, often we'll feel uh, a little kind of left out, a little on the outside. We have a society that puts a great weight on education. You as parents, if you are parents, you put great weight on education. Work out how much money, even if you send your kids to the local public schools, great, but work out how much money, how much time, how much energy you put into educating your children. Work out the priority that you put on, the things, the sacrifices that you make to make that happen. You believe education is really really important and you will fight for it your child to be in the right school the right class the right teacher you'll invest heavily into it parents we we are in this game students this is dory just keep studying just keep studying if you're getting at the pointy end of school or university this is your mantra isn't it I just have to put my head down and get through the next couple of years. I need to get that magic number that is going to determine my entire future. Let me just rest, uh, rest assured it doesn't determine your entire future. And now probably less than ever does it do that. But we feel that, don't we? If you're in year 12 now, life is on hold, isn't it? Study dominates pretty much everything. But maybe you look at it and go, actually, I'm, I'm beyond all that. And education is a path to self-actualization, to becoming the, the real you, the better version of you. And so maybe you're just doing a language here or a little course over there and you're just enriching your life and you see that life comes through learning. But maybe you're smart enough to work out that actually what's in your head and the way you live are two different things. And some of the smartest people on this planet are, are hopeless at actually when it comes to living life, yes? 
And so there's a whole industry that can help you out there. It's called the self-help industry. So I googled some of these books. I've actually read some of these books. You can work out which ones I've read. Okay, how to win friends and influence people. Maybe you need a bit of help there. Dale Carnegie will tell you how to do that. Think and grow rich, obviously. He's going to give you the secrets of actually getting more money. The four-hour work week. <laughs> Be a pastor. We only work one day and I only work half of Sunday anyway. Escape the nine-to-five and live anywhere and uh, join the new rich. He'll sell you that secret for $30-odd, dollars, I'm, I'm sure. Um, this is one of my favorites. You are a badass. <laughs> And it says, what is it? How to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. Probably 180 pages and $30. Five easy points. The secrets to life are there to be the ultimate badass. Okay, let's move on. Who moved my cheese? I'm not quite sure what that one's about. Has anyone read that one? Yeah, oh, there's a few. Yes, down the back. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay, you can heal your life. You know, self-help books for anything and everything. And if in doubt, The Secret. You know, I think 30 million copies of this one sold. Each of these have sold not hundreds of thousands, not millions, but tens or hundreds of millions of copies. We believe that people can give us the right knowledge which will give us success. And these people will sell you that knowledge for $29.95. Maybe you can go to a course, a seminar that will run the same thing. We have this view, get the right knowledge and I can make life work. Can I say there's nothing new under the sun? The teacher explored the same path. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. This guy engaged with wisdom and study with finding the answer to that question. Where is the good life? He says to himself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone else who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. No one trumps this guy. Now, this is either Solomon uh, or someone setting himself up as a kind of a literary Solomon. Uh, He is the proverbial uh, wise man, isn't he? We talk about someone having the wisdom of Solomon. Okay, this guy, no one trumps him. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And even the person who wrote the bookends to the book of Ecclesiastes acknowledges this. Students, this was my motto in year 12. Of making many books, there is no end and much study wearies the body. This man went hard at exploring whether wisdom and knowledge could give you purpose and meaning and a life of significance. Any surprises what his conclusion might be? He applied himself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly and them all are chasing after wind. He comes up short. Now, how do you feel about that? Because we are, a, we are a society, we're a community that loves education. Parents, your kids come home from church this morning and says, the Bible tells me school is a chasing after wind. Uh, I don't know what Kez is telling your kids out there or they're learning at kids' church. Blame her. Uh, how do you feel about it? I'm not going to study, mum. It's all hevel. 
Okay? Dad is just a chasing after wind. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. The teacher told me. Is that where we're at? That there is no value? Well, no. No, like pleasure, like work, like relationships, he tells us there is some value. Chapter 2, verse 13. Wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their head while the fool walks in darkness. It's easier to live life wise than foolish. That's his point. That's his one redeeming point. But he gives us four reasons why it falls short in the end. Let me give them to you. Verse 18 of chapter 1. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. We flip this round and make it into a little proverb. You know, ignorance is bliss. With wisdom comes, much wisdom comes much sorrow. He goes on. 9.11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favour to the learned. Time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. He goes on, third reason. He says, what is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now, that may be not entirely obvious, but what he is saying is that there's something in this world that is out of shape. There is something in this world that means the regular way of thinking, you'd expect things working, doesn't work. Whatever is crooked cannot be straightened and wise people can't fix it. It says in chapter 7, verse 13, that it is God that has done the crookening. It is God that has made the lack and it's part of his judgment on human rebellion. But we'll come back to that. So knowledge is pain. Time and chance happen to all. What is crooked cannot be straightened. Life is out of whack. And finally, in 2.16, the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered, for the days have already come when both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise, too, must die. Death conquers all. I read uh, in a commentary about uh, the man was reflecting on a funeral he went to of a man who knew 34 languages, could speak it fluently. He's in a casket. He's dead. Makes no difference. At the end of the day, death conquers all. And maybe you think this is just the teacher. He's got a little bit of a bleak personality. Well, the Psalms say the same thing. All can see that the wise die and that the foolish and the senseless also perish. Death ultimately defeats no matter how many degrees you've got. No matter how wise your life, you still die. And at the end of the day, death conquers everything. So is that where we're at? Is that where we're stuck? That ultimately, why bother? Because you're all going to die anyway. And so I might as well just move on and just eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, there is an answer to this. And it's not so much who you, uh, what you know, but who you know. Remember that the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he keeps on coming back to this perspective. And do you remember his phrase for the perspective that he sees 
things happening in. He looks at things under the sun. Now, there are more, there's more to say. There is more, there is a bigger perspective than under the sun. But what he sees is under the sun, leaving God out of the equation, people use knowledge and wisdom to try to control life and it doesn't work. And the Bible tells us why. The Bible tells us that people who leave God out of the picture cannot find true lasting significance and meaning through their academic achievements, through their wisdom, because God has actually determined that. It says in Isaiah 29. Now, let me give you a bit of background on this. Isaiah uh, is talking about uh, Israel that has worked out how they can keep God under control. They've got their religion worked out from human wisdom. And he says, their worship of me is based merely on human rules. They have been taught. So what's God's response? I will astound these people, he says, with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish and the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. God will actually frustrate human wisdom. This is the crookedness, this is the bentness, that we think that through our achievements we can get that good life, where ultimately God has said, no. We need someone who can actually give us an answer. And obviously, Jesus is that person. Matthew 12, Jesus is talking about the towns that he's been working in and speaking in and doing incredible acts of uh, power in. And he actually says, the queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Solomon, the teacher, at his best, the teacher drew a blank, couldn't get lasting meaning and significance, came up with hevel, transience, passing away. But Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here. Now, is that what you expected him to say? If you look at the grammar, do you expect Jesus to say something? What would you expect? Someone. But he's not, he actually says something, doesn't he? Jesus is actually saying, not that he is a wise man like Solomon was a wise man. Jesus is actually saying he himself is wisdom. He is the true wisdom. To be wise is not to know stuff. To be wise is actually to know Jesus. And we get this perspective. We see that actually my ATAR doesn't matter. The number of degrees I have after my name doesn't matter. Wisdom comes from knowing Christ, not from your human achievements. It doesn't mean that those things are completely without value. But ultimately, death and chance and time mock them all. Draw them to a close. But Christ comes and he says, I am wisdom. And read for us, beautifully, from a very small text, uh, our third Bible reading uh, from 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read it again, not that she did a bad job, but 
Paul speaks about the message of the cross that is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, quoting Isaiah 29, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. What he's saying, what Paul is saying is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's wisdom comes in and smashes the way the world sees things, smashes the way the world thinks everything should work. So Paul asks, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? What he's saying is everyone comes up with ideas about what's the big issue? What's the big problem? What do we need to fix? What do we need to find to get that good life? And Paul is saying, regardless of where you look, if you are not looking to God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will come up short. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. They wanted great acts of power. Greeks looked for wisdom. They wanted logic and rhetoric. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection is God's great act of wisdom, God's great act of power. In the cross, in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, God is straightening what the wisest man could not straighten. God is providing the lack that could not be counted. God is actually fixing what is wrong with this world. God is fixing what is wrong with us. Our rejection of him, our turning to everything else other than him. In Christ, God has fixed that. And he has offered us forgiveness and grace and mercy and as he fixes individuals he has promised that one day when christ returns he will fix this world hevel will be swept away there will be no more chasing after wind life will have true meaning and substance and significance the wise people of this world they seek it everywhere other than in God. But Paul is saying, as Jesus said, as Isaiah said, you will only find it in God. True wisdom, true knowledge is found only in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So what's it mean for how we live? It means for those of us who see that the cross is the wisdom and the power of God, it actually puts wisdom and knowledge in its place. It actually lets us see that while we can know things, while we can be wise at an under-the-sun level and there is some benefit to that, it can never give us that deep 
meaning and purpose that comes only through Christ. And so we stop pushing that button. Knowledge is good. Wisdom is good. But it is not God. We don't look there to provide something that it can never provide. We see the crookedness of life. We know why life doesn't quite work. We know that while our best plans don't actually, they go astray. We don't find true wisdom in books. We find it in Christ. Paul says in the letter to the Colossians this. He says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Doesn't mean that Jesus is going to teach you your algebra. Jesus is going to tell you uh, all about Romeo and Juliet and how to understand that in the light of contemporary modern Australian culture. Uh, doesn't mean that Jesus is going to stand up and do your talk presentation for you if you had one of those recently. My pity on you. Uh, but anyway, what it does mean though is that with Christ at the centre, everything else fits into place. And you can actually understand the world as it is. It lets us know that our knowledge and our wisdom is a gift from God. So I don't walk around and go, I'm smarter than you. I've got more degrees than you. I'm whatever. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's a gift that is given so that you might serve others. So you might be brilliant. Use your brilliance to serve others. You might have phenomenal understanding into human issues. Use that to serve and bless others. That's what God has given it to you for. But don't take pride in it like you're better than everyone else because of it. Because Christ shows us where true wisdom is. Don't look to it for security and meaning. Or if you fall short, don't think that you are somehow less, that you are less loved, less special, that God values you less because you got 70 and not 90. Our security, our status, our person, our worth is in Christ and he delights in us. It's not in our achievements, it's in his as we think about it, as we think about where true wisdom is found, how does that actually reflect our priorities? I want to speak now, and I speak to myself because I am the parent of a year 12. I want to speak to all the parents of those in senior years. Do you encourage your children to pursue God with a zeal beyond what they pursue study or you are quite happy that maybe they put the things of God maybe not completely on the back burner but actually they they don't go to youth group as much or they don't read their bible as much because it's it's physics and not Philippians it's chemistry and and not Colossians uh it's Ephesians no it's actually English uh do we do we strive to encourage our kids to connect with the one who is true knowledge, who is true wisdom, or do we think, oh, actually, they can focus on that later. Just get through this year. Students, do you honestly think that flourishing is found in a number? Or do you think it's found in a degree? 
Or is it found in the one who loved you so much that he was bent brutally out of shape to straighten the crookedness of this world? Do we see that in Christ he has met our needs? How do you put down the book and walk away and actually say, no, that's enough? You do it because you love Christ and you see that he alone can give what you are seeking through your books, what you are seeking through your achievements. Rest in his achievements. doesn't mean be slack. doesn't mean you just kick back and say to mum and dad, actually, it's all, it's all meaningless anyway. No, it's a gift. Use it. But keep it in its place and keep Christ in his place. Because it doesn't matter what you get at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what that mark is. It doesn't matter what degrees you've got, what letters after your name. In the end, our security comes from the achievements, not of us, but of Christ. And so back in Psalm 49, verse 15, where's the psalmist's hope? God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He's the one, he's the one that can take us through death into eternity who can mean that our life actually has meaning and significance that is not ended by death. He's the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. You will pursue Christ if you see that. Otherwise, the gods of this world, the things that the teacher found lacking will captivate us and they will drag us down and ultimately they will break our hearts. But Christ never will. In Christ, God has banished Hevel. God has given a life of substance, of meaning and purpose in relationship with him. Be wise. Follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we we ask. We ask that you would really show us that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, of having him at the centre, actually allows us to understand ourselves and our world, allows us to see truly that your Holy Spirit takes takes that knowledge and transforms our life. Father, help us to see the value but the limits of human wisdom and knowledge. Help us never to look to things uh, that are not you for our value, for our purpose, for our meaning, for our security, for our worth. Because we know, Father, At the end, death will rob us of everything. But Lord, as the Lord Jesus died and rose again, conquering death, Father, to each of us whose faith is in him, you give us a hope. You give us a wisdom and a knowledge that will not end in death, but go on into eternity. You give us a life not of of meaninglessness and vanity, not of transience and vapour, but a life that is solid because Christ rose again. And Father, we pray this in his name. Amen.